0: So let that be a little bit of a warning to you. You might join a a marriage mentor's MC and end up becoming foster parents. Um, You have no idea what God wants to do in your life when you get into community. When you make the intentional step to get into a missional community, it's a little bit scary. Let's be honest. Going to somebody's house you don't really know, meeting with people, it's like, is this a support group? Like, what is this? Listen, this is what we were made for, to do life together with other people, and we can't do it alone. That's what missional communities are, and so at the end of the service, I just encourage you, walk around to each one of these tables if you're not in a missional community, and just investigate, and and just do it. Just, just show up, and, and, um, and let God do what he wants to do in your life as you intentionally step into community. All right. So if you've got your Bibles, um, pull them out and let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Now if you've got your phone, it's a great opportunity. If you don't have the Bible app, download the Bible app, go to the app store, find the Bible. It's the first one there. Um, it's the YouVersion Bible app. If you search in the Bible app for events, Cane Bay, you'll also find the message notes. Every week we put our message notes on there so you can actually find us through the Bible app. Um, So Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. We're only going to look at the first five verses of Romans chapter 12. So as you find your way there, let me tell you what we've been talking about. We started this last week, this series called A New Community. We're only doing it for three weeks. And here's why we're calling it A New Community. So listen. When you become a follower of Jesus, so I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey right now, but I know this because the Bible tells me this, that when you choose to believe and follow Jesus, you're not just invited to believe something new with your head. I mean, you are. You're believing in Jesus with your mind, right? You're believing something new. But you are also invited to, to become something new. Like it, it ought to change your life. Because if you believe something new. It affects your behavior. It affects how you see things. How you live. The choices you make. The way you spend your money. The way you treat your spouse. The way you see your neighbor. Like it ought to change things. You, you ought to have a new life. Jesus tells us that. The Bible's clear about that. So you believe something new. You, you become something new. And you're invited to belong to something new. All of a sudden, you don't live for me anymore, for yourself. You don't live on an island. You recognize that I need to exist in the context of community. And listen, guys, that's what the church is. The church is not about an institution, a building, an organization, a denomination. Please, that... Those are the trappings. That's not the real thing. The real thing is brothers and sisters who are following Jesus. You now belong to a family, a community of people who encourage one another, support one another, challenge one another, hold each other accountable. That's what we were made for, designed for. That's why we do missional communities. We are called to be part of a new community. And in our individualistic culture where it says you just live for you and you don't You don't really be vulnerable. You keep your mask on. You put yourself behind the privacy fence and that's the way you live and you'll just be fine. I'm telling you, that is a lie. You need other people. We desperately need other people, especially following Jesus. You can't follow Jesus alone. And that's why we're calling this series a new community. Because following Jesus is not just a call to believe something or to to become something, but it's a call to belong to something. Now, When I talk about it ought to change our lives, that following Jesus ought to have ramifications for how we live and the choices we make, it should. Now, I want to show you a quick video of a high school wrestler. Now, this has nothing to do with following Jesus, really, but it has to do with making a choice that looks surprisingly different from what the rest of the world does. And I think as Christians, we're called to live a surprisingly different life. A life that people look at you and say, something is strangely different about you. A lot of you are strange, but following Jesus, there ought to be something strangely and surprisingly peculiar about the choices you make. And I want you to watch this high high school wrestler. as He made a a surprising decision in a wrestling match. He was a state champion in wrestling. And I want you to look at this choice. Watch watch this. So here's the thing. Winning a wrestling match is not a bad thing. That's normal. Kids do that all the time. It's good. But surrendering and sacrificing in that moment, that's strange. That's abnormal. That's different. And why would they say it was right? He did the right thing? How do, where do we get that from? You see, I believe when you and I follow Jesus, that we begin to look like and live like Jesus. And Jesus gives us this picture of surrender and sacrifice. This this strangely beautiful thing that's in contrast to what the rest of the world says. The rest of the world says live for you. Put yourself first. It's all about what you gain and accomplish in your success. That decision, that's strange. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and that's what being a Christ follower ought to look like. Strange, I believe this. What would it what would it look like if followers of Jesus really looked like Jesus? We really were the most generous, unselfish, loving, sacrificial serving people on the whole planet. Because Jesus has changed us, our minds, our hearts. When you follow Jesus, you're called to look surprisingly different from the rest of the world. But here's the truth. The reality is so often we just tend to blend in to the way the rest of the world lives. We We just tend to go with the flow, living for ourselves, fighting for ourselves, thinking it's okay and right. And this is why we need each other. This is why we need each other, because it's so easy for me to drift back to the old selfish ways of life before I met Jesus. But I'm called to live differently now, and as followers of Jesus... I belong to you and you belong to me. And together, we need each other. Together, we love each other. And our lives together ought to be an open invitation to the world that Jesus loves you too. And he wants to change your heart and life and give you something really truthful and good to live for. Like this community that we're part of ought to be winsome, but oftentimes it just looks the same as the rest of the world. You see, Brennan Manning, who died several years back, wrote this book years ago called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And he said this, and this quote has just always stuck with me, and it's this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Do you hear that? How, how tragic is that? This is the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today: is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but they walk out the door and they deny Him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Listen, we desperately need followers of Jesus who look unselfishly like Jesus. That would be surprising that's what the church of Jesus ought to look like. It's what God has always desired. So if you're in Romans chapter 12, we're going to start reading verse 1. And we're going to see what Paul has to say about this, this life that we're called to that looks surprisingly different. So Romans 12 verse 1 says this. Paul's writing to Christians, mostly new believers, new Christians in the city of Rome And he says this, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now just hang out, leave that verse up there, and I want you just to pay attention to this for a second. So this one verse is loaded with with stuff. This is an incredible chapter of Scripture. This one verse says this, Paul, Paul is saying, look, I appeal to you. He's saying, I plead with you, I beg you to give your bodies by the mercies of God. He's saying, because of what God has done for you, because you know how good God has been to you, because God has been so merciful to you, would you give your bodies, your physical existence, your everyday lives, would you give it back to God as a living sacrifice? Now, that's strange language. I mean, what is a living sacrifice? So you guys know what a sacrifice is, right? A sacrifice is something you give up and you sacrifice something. I mean, there's all kind of connotations to this word. There can be really strange, bad sacrifices. But sacrifice is something you give up, you let go of, you lay down for it the sake of someone or something else to benefit you no longer benefit from it some somebody else does it honors somebody else that's what a sacrifice is so when Paul says a living sacrifice that's really strange because you're still breathing right now so you're not going to die you're not going to sacrifice yourself in a physical sense but this is what's beautifully strange about this is Paul says what you ought to do now, because of how merciful God has been to you through Jesus Christ, now you ought to lay your life down. You ought to die to yourself so you can live for Him, live for Jesus. That's what a living sacrifice is. So that what happens is you give up your physical bodies, your words, your behaviors, your desires, your, your everything about your physical existence. You say, I'm no longer going to use it for my own benefit and gain, but I'm going to, not as self-promotion for me, but I'm going to use it as a vivid display of God's presence and power and provision in my life. I'm going to be a living sacrifice. Isn't this interesting language? See, here's, here's why I think it's such beautiful language. Because I need you to know this about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus. That believing and following Jesus is not about you trying harder to be good. Listen, you will convince yourself that you are and you'll believe a lie and you're not really all that good. But that only leads to conceit and arrogance and futility. That following Jesus is not about trying to be good or trying harder. It is an act of surrender. It is an act of submission. Notice that Paul says, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is the way you worship God, by becoming a living sacrifice, by dying to yourself. Uh, so just a few minutes ago, we sang some worship songs. Christ be magnified. And we call that worship music, you know, and it is. And that is worship. But, but did you notice, that, here, here's the interesting thing worship is so much bigger than just singing a song with our lips. Like what Paul says here is worship is actually what you do with your life. It's what you do with your physical bodies, with your money, with your time, with your words, with your choices. Like worship is bigger than just singing a song. Like what you say with the song ought to be reflected with what you do with your life. Like he said, this is why it's interesting, isn't it? Worship is an act of surrender why do you think people, like, raise their hands? Chris even said at some point up here, like, you lift your hands up. Why, why would that even be a thing in worship? Why would people raise their hands? I mean, here's the interesting thing. Isn't this, me raising my hand, like the universal sign of surrender? I, I, I give up? Like, there is a point at which we're giving God, like, honor, but really more... More than that, we're lifting our hands saying, I give up, God. I need you. I'm desperate for you. You are greater than me. And I'm giving up myself. I'm surrendering to you. So that you can live in and through me. Jesus said it like this. So I'll let Jesus' words be better than mine here. Jesus was trying to explain this. And he said in Luke 9.23, you can just follow along on the screen. He said, then he said to all, to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see that? D- Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if, if you want to believe in me, if you want to be my followers, if you want to look like me, then, then you deny yourself, you die to you. That's, look at the language he says, take up your cross daily. This isn't a one-time thing. Following Jesus is something we continue to do. Like we take up our cross daily. Well, what's the cross? It's where Jesus gave up his life for us. And then he looks at us and says, "Now I want you to do that for me. I want you to take up your cross daily and follow me. You Die to you, your desires, your wants, and live for me and follow me. And look at the second part of the verse, verse, verse 24, he says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Isn't that interesting what Jesus says? If you try to live for you, if you try to elevate your name, if you live for your own self-promotion, it will slip through your fingers and you'll wonder why it doesn't work. But when you give up your life, when you surrender your life to Jesus... All of a sudden you discover what real life was always meant to be. Go back to Romans 12 for a second. Paul goes on to say, not only are you to be living sacrifices, but look, verse 2 says this in Romans chapter 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Man, this verse is just as loaded as the first verse. Maybe even more. Look, look at what he says here. He says to followers of Jesus, to us. Don't conform to the world. Another translation says don't, don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let God change the way you think, another translation says. The, the first thing I want to point out there is this whole idea of not conforming. Don't conform or copy the world. As followers of Jesus, you ought not to be copying the world. There's nothing about your life that should look worldly, in a sense. Don't copy or conform to the world. The, the question I want to ask you, and I've been asking myself this question all week, is what is forming me? I, I just want you to ask that question to yourself just a second. What is forming my thoughts, my beliefs, my opinions, my desires, my, my behaviors? Like something is forming you. Is it formed by someone or something? Of course it is. It's, is it formed by your peers? Is it formed by your news feed? Your politics? Your social media? Your, your family? Like There are all kinds of things that form you. Even, listen, even when you think you're being a nonconformist, you're copying somebody. Are you with me? You're not with me. you with me? Even when you think, I'm a nonconformist, You're just copying somebody else that's in the minority. Do you get it? We're all being formed by something. Now, have you ever seen the movie um, that it came out? It was a documentary called The Social Dilemma. Anybody ever Anybody saw that? Only a few. Oh, my gosh. You guys should watch it. It'll mess with your mind a little bit. All right. So here's the thing. I'm going to tell you something. You probably already know this. But in that documentary, it's really interesting. It was people who used to work for all the social media giants, Facebook and Instagram and all, all the social media stuff. L- listen, did you realize this? That social media platforms, all the companies that manage social media... Are some, they are the fastest growing enterprises in the world and some of the most profitable enterprises in the world. And listen, they all profit. They're designed to profit by figuring out what you want to see so that you will keep on scrolling, keep on viewing, and keep on clicking. Because they profit more the more you do that, right? You're with me. You, you agree, right? So they create what researchers call an echo chamber. With every view and with every click or every like, they feed you more and more of that. So you will walk down this path where all of a sudden all your biases are confirmed and you become in a sense brainwashed. Are you with me? You believe that? You're a bunch of brainwashed people. I mean... In fact, researchers today say, even people who used to work for a lot of these companies say, it might be one of the biggest problems we've ever faced as a society, is that now we exist in these little groups of confirmation bias where we think we're right and everybody else is wrong because everything in our Facebook feed and our Snapchat, everybody agrees with me, so I must be right. You guys see this problem, don't you? It is massive in our world. And all I'm saying is listen. That's just one small part of this whole idea of conforming to the world. You don't have to take the bait and conform to the world. Listen, I'm just going to tell you if you if you want to be a follower of Jesus, listen. You cannot copy the world and look like Jesus. You cannot pursue the world and pursue Jesus. You won't. You will conform to the world. And too often, I think we just do. Paul says, you don't have to conform. Just because everybody else lives that way. Just because everybody else makes that choice. Just because it seems like that's the norm. Don't conform to the patterns of the world. But look, the second part he says, but be transformed. Be changed. Be set apart. Be different. How By the renewal of your mind. Listen, I want to show you this for just a second. If you look at verse 2 there, he uses this language. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Listen, be transformed is something that you don't do to yourself. I don't know if you know this, but you can't change your own heart and mind. You, You can't change that. You might think you have the power to but you don't. Paul uses this language very distinctly because you don't have the power to change yourself. God has the power to change you. Social media has the power to change you. All kinds of influences have the power to change you, but you can't change yourself. All you have the power to do is choose what you're going to submit yourself to. Which power are you going to submit yourself to? Are you with me? Like, what are you going to listen to? Because the voice will change you. Whatever you surrender your life to, that has the power to change you. You don't change your heart and mind. Something else does. And so Paul says, be transformed by letting God change the way you think. Listen, this whole idea of surrender or submission is this. Remember earlier I said, You won't follow Jesus, you won't believe in Jesus by trying harder to be good. It's by surrendering to God and saying, I'm not good, but God, you are good, you are great, change me. What does it look like to surrender to God, to be a living sacrifice? How do you do this? So, So this is what I think it looks like. It is saying, it's admitting that I might be wrong. Okay, this is a hard thing to do in our world, right? Especially when confirmation and bias exist and we, exist, we live in these little echo chambers. It's rare for anybody in our world today to say, I could be wrong about that. Have you, it, don't, do you agree with me? Like, that is not something that exists in our culture very frequently these days. I, you know, I might be wrong. No, 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 no. But see, when you surrender to God, when you're living sacrifice, what it says is you're admitting... You know, the way I see things, the way I think about things, the way I see the world, the way I see other people, the way I even see myself might not be right. Admitting that I could be wrong is the first step to surrender to God. And the second is seeking to know the truth. Not your own version of the truth, but seeking to know the real truth. Here's the interesting thing in our world. I think we're satisfied with our own version of the truth and we don't really want to know what God says is true. But surrender to God is saying, God, I admit I might be wrong and I want you to tell me what's right. Listen, you won't really know what's true and you won't really surrender to God until you submit yourself to God daily, taking up your cross, daily looking at God's word saying, God, I don't want to conform to the world. I want to be changed. I want my mind and my heart to hear what you're saying, God. I want to know what's true because in a world filled with what people say is true, you will end up believing lies if you don't have the anchor of the word of God saying this is what's true and right and good, and daily, that's what it's like to surrender to God. And then your life will look different. This new mind, this renewal of the mind, this changing the way you think, what does it look like? So I'm going to to show you something, and this is the hokiest thing ever. I'm a a dad, just remember, so I'm filled with dad jokes and hokey ways of saying things. But I, I want you to look at this. So when, you, when God changes your mind and gives you a new way to think, which is what I think happens when you truly follow Jesus and you surrender to Him as a living sacrifice, He changes the way you think. And then you begin to think, first of He, less of me, and more of we. Now, that doesn't make any grammatical sense. I know it's hokey. Just, just go with me for the moment, all right? So I want you to say this with me. So you begin to think, First of he, less of me, and more of we. All right, let's do it again. That that was good. Let's do it. So you begin to think, first of he, less of me, and more of we. I think this is what a Christ follower who's really following Jesus, this is how they think when God gives them a new mind. A new way to think. And you say, well, where do you get that from? It's just a hokey statement you made up. Yeah, it kind of is. But look at the look back at verse 2. It says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then look at the second part that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen. When God changes your mind, you begin to know what is right. You begin to know the right choice to make because you think first about what God wants, not what you want. When God gives you a new way to think, all of a sudden you think, what would Jesus do in this moment? Not what would Will do, because what would Will do, Will would just win the wrestling match. But in this moment, I have to think to myself, but what would Jesus do right now? Because it might look a whole lot different than the way the rest of the world looks. Because what happens is you begin to think first of He, first of what God wants. You don't copy the world anymore. When you face decisions, you begin to test and discern the right thing. What is God's will? What does God want? Every person in this room at varying levels wants to know what's right. Every person in this room at some level you've asked, what does God want me to do? What what job does God want me to take? What decision does God want me to make? What person does God want me to date? What does God want? At varying levels, you've all asked that question. Wouldn't you love to know the answer? The answer is when you surrender daily and you're a living sacrifice, God begins to give you a new mind, a new way to think. And all of a sudden, you start thinking about what He would want instead of what you want. It's a supernatural thing, you guys. It's a new mind. And only God can do that. When you allow God to change the way you think and you start putting Him first, you think first of He, here's the second result. Look at verse 3. Romans 12, 3 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned you see what that verse says? See, verse 2 says you'll start thinking first about what God's will is. And verse 3 says, and you'll begin to think less about what your will is. You'll begin to think less of me. You'll no longer live for self-promotion. Self-gratification. I matter more than anybody else. That's not what a follower of Jesus does. Now, now listen. Listen. This verse doesn't say that you don't matter or you're not valuable. You are incredibly valuable. You just need to know where your value comes from. It comes from who God is and what God says about you. It does not come from what the world says you ought to be or ought to do. It does not come from that. Listen, this this verse says, all of a sudden your mind begins to think of yourself with sober judgment, not intoxicated with comparison On social media, not obsessed with image or lured by the acceptance or approval of other people. That is no longer the way you identify yourself, but you start seeing yourself the way God sees you. And that's incredibly valuable, but it's not the way the world says you're valuable. When you allow God to change the way you think, you begin to think first of what he wants, less of what you want. And here's the third result look at verse 4 and 5. Romans 12:4 says for as in one body we have many members and the members do not have all the same function so we you see the we there so we the many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So I want to read you that verse, those two verses in the New Living Translation. A different translation it says this. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function. I have a hand, I have a foot, I have a head, I have a shoulder. I mean, you, you know this, right? They all do different things, but they're together they do this amazing thing. If I was just a hand, it would be really strange. But, but, but they're all connected, and they need each other. My hand needs my arm. My arm needs my torso. I mean, you, you get this. They need each other. They're interdependent. And he says, just like our bodies have many parts, but together they have this amazing function. So it is with Christ's body. We're parts of one body. And look at this. And we all belong to each other. You see, what Paul says is you... You begin to think when God gives you a new mind, first of he, less of me, and more of we. You begin to think about others ahead of you. That's why it looks surprisingly different to put somebody else in front of you. That's why Jesus said crazy things like, like, love your enemies and pray for them, like, It's why Jesus said the first should be last. Like, it's just crazy. It's why Jesus called us to lay our lives down, like, for the sake of other people. Because, listen, we need each other. I I realize that that I am made for community. I'm made to put others ahead of me. That's why you need the church. Not, Not the institution, not the denomination. It's why we need the body of Christ. It's why we need to belong to one another Listen, I'm going to tell you this. It's why we do missional communities. And listen, community, getting into community, connecting the commitment that it takes to be in a group of people, it's risky, it's messy, it's costly, but there's something deep down in me that knows that I need it. In spite of all the reasons that keep me from committing to, to community, I believe that God designed me for it. And that I will not grow in my relationship with God alone. That I need other people. That I'm designed to be a part of the church of Jesus. Following Jesus is not something you can do on your own. Despite what you think. Despite the individualism and independence of our culture We need each other. No man is an island. It is destructive, it's dangerous, and it's lonely. And when you exist as an island by yourself, you'll believe the lies the world is telling you and you'll believe they're right. But there's something about the context of community. When we read the Bible in my huddle, when I sit across the table from a guy and I read what the Bible says and we ask each other questions and we pray for one another, there's something that God does in there that reminds me that I'm not I'm not always right that I need the voice of other followers of Jesus with me, that I need God's voice, that I need to submit and surrender myself to that, and there's something beautiful about it. But I have to tell you something. I have to admit that I haven't always thought that way. There have been several times in my life that I thought I did not need the church because I thought the church was messed up. I saw the flaws in other Christians. I saw the institution of the church and the organization of it, and I was like, I don't need that. I can follow Jesus by myself. I understand that, but I began to realize something. Yes, every church is messed up because it's made up of sinful people who need Jesus, and I'm one of them. The church is messed up because I'm messed up. You see, in the end, I need the accountability. I need the encouragement. I need the voices of other followers of Jesus because there's so many other voices in the world. And the voices that are following Jesus remind me most that I need God's voice clearly in my life. Listen, I need the conflict that comes with community because I need to figure out how to walk through it the way Jesus would walk through it. I need the care. I need the church. Is it messy? Yes. Does it always work well? No. Will there be conflict? Yes, but in every good family it's that way. And we don't just leave the family. Listen, you can't do life alone. You especially can't follow Jesus alone. We need each other. That's why we do missional communities and why we beg you to get in one. Every missional community, look, i lead one. They're not all perfect by any stretch of the imagination. They're just an attempt to say you need to be with your brothers and sisters. You need to follow Jesus together. You need to pray together. You need to hang out together. You need to serve together. You need to read the Bible together. Like, you need to do it. There's a documentary that came out some years ago called March of the Penguins. Did anybody see that documentary about penguins? Wow, you guys have got to. Man, COVID gave you an excuse to watch a lot of stuff. You should have. Anyway, so, so this is such a great documentary because Morgan Freeman narrates it, and he's like the voice of God. So, Just kidding. I didn't really say that. Um, anyway, so, so in this documentary, it's all about penguins, right? It shouldn't be that interesting. But it's fascinating because what you're going to see, what I want to show you, is how desperately penguins need community. What, what it looks like... When they're alone, contrasted with what God designed them for. Just, just take a look at this. Watch this. I just find it remarkable in the beginning of that clip that he says, the lone penguin will just fade into the darkness. same is true for you and me. But then he says, but then all of a sudden, as the winter, as the storms move in, There's something about when they group together. They become almost like a single organism together. Doesn't that sound strikingly about what God intended the body of Christ to be? Like You guys, listen. The world's a crazy place. It's scary. It's broken. There's lots of lies. There's lots of things you could conform to. Don't conform. Don't conform to the world. Don't be deceived. But be transformed. Let God change the way you think by surrendering yourself to Him as a living sacrifice. And then as He changes the way you think, you'll begin to think first of what He wants and less of what you want and more of what we need for each other and from each other. This is why we do this thing called missional communities. And at the end of the service, you're going to get to walk around and visit the tables. And if you haven't committed to one, just figure out where you need to be. The calling is bigger than that. For you, maybe today, maybe you've been trying to do life on your own, trying to figure it out. Maybe there's so many voices and noise in your life. You need to admit that you might be wrong. And you need to surrender yourself to seeking the truth. Listen, there's this beautiful part in the scripture where God says, if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. God wants you to know him. You never said yes to Jesus. I'm just telling you, you won't find truth. You won't find life. You won't find peace and you won't find hope without surrendering your life to Jesus. You just won't find it. And some of you have been searching. You will only find freedom and truth and hope when you find Jesus. I promise. Maybe today you need to say yes to Jesus. And you need to lay down your life And begin to live for him. Can I pray for us? God. God, there's so many things in this world that I could conform to. So many voices. There's so much noise. God, would you help me to lay my life down? So that you can live in and through me. God, thank you that you've told me what's true and right. You've shown me by sending Jesus. I can look at Jesus and I see what's right and good and perfect. God, I pray that I wouldn't look anywhere else but to Jesus. And I would say yes to him. And God, would you make my life, my words, my love... My mind and my heart look more and more like Jesus as I follow him. In Jesus' name I pray.